I want to I say for Skip and me, uh, thank you to Don for, for letting us have the opportunity to teach. We appreciate that. So it's May 29, 2022. The world still counts time by Jesus. Good to have uh, have everyone here. I tell you, um, what a week! That that thing in Uvalde it just hurts your heart, doesn't it? And that's, that's why the Gospels are written, in particular, because the only solution. Our world is a mess, and it's been a mess since the garden. All the way through, we are consistent in, uh, in messing up, and so good to have grace and to have a Savior that fixes our sin problem. Let's have a word of prayer, and we will begin. Our Father, we are grateful to you for the day. We know it's your gift, as Paul says, you give life and breath to all things, and it would be a mistake to take that for granted. So thank you for this day. Um, Father, it's amazing how we are refreshed in the morning from whatever we've done the day before uh, with the rest, how you rejuvenate our bodies, and we thank you for this new day, pray that we'll please you with it. We do lift up the family's father in Uvalde and father in the Ukraine. Pray that that so needless conflict could stop, that there could be peace. We know that you work all things according to your will. And we pray for your will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. Ask your blessings, Father, today as we study and um, complete John. And we, uh, I pray it will be to your honor and purpose. In Jesus' name, amen. So, um, starting with John 20 today, um, this is a turning point in history. If there, was, if there were no resurrection, there would be no Christianity. Paul said in, in 1 Corinthians 15, if there's no resurrection, you're still in your sins. But 1 Corinthians 15, verse 20, he says, but Jesus did rise. And then he goes on to talk about not only his resurrection, but ours. Uh, how we will have new bodies, immortal bodies, raised bodies that God reworks and makes uh, spiritual bodies, and uh, we may touch on that at the very end. We'll see how time goes. Uh, but the resurrection, you know, I, I've shared my pet peeve with you before, but I'll, I'll do that again. And it's well-intended. I understand that. But it, it does bother me somewhat how we overlook the resurrection 
And uh, typically uh, when we take communion, whoever may be leading that prayer will say, Dear God, thank you for Jesus dying on the cross for our sins. I, I understand that. And I am grateful for that. But we should say, we should in- also thank the Lord for the resurrection that makes that true. If there's no resurrection, there is no forgiveness. Jesus had to overcome, overcome Satan's power. And he did that in the resurrection. Um, so, uh, in, in John 20, as it starts out, uh, Mary, and there, there's a variation in the different accounts and the different gospels about what happens. And evidently, Mary made, Mary Magdalene, I'm talking about, uh, made multiple trips back and forth to the tomb. Uh, but uh, one time she goes, it's still dark. That's the one John talks about. Another gospel, she goes back with some ladies and it's daylight. And of course, she goes back with James and John, uh, with uh, John and Peter when she goes and tells them the Lord's risen. So she made at least three trips there over an hour or two. Uh, I want to read, <clears throat> Luke gives a little more detail about this. I want to I look at Luke 24 as we get into this and uh, just read, uh, read the way Luke puts it, uh, gives us a little more to it. Uh, Luke 24, verse 1, on the first day of the week it, at early dawn, they went to the tomb. So now she's with, got some ladies with her taking spices they had prepared. She Uh, They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they went in, they did not find the body of Jesus. While they were perplexed, behold, two men stood beside them in dazzling apparel. Uh, Angels are not always in dazzling apparel, but often they are. Sometimes it's just white. Sometimes it's glowing. Uh, This time it's evidently glowing. And uh, as they were frightened, they bowed their faces to the ground. The men said to them, why you seek the living among the dead? He's not here, but risen. Don't you remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the son of man must be delivered to the hands of sinful men and on the third day rise? And they did remember uh, when he reminded them of that. Um, May I have just a minute since you're in Luke 24. I'd like to turn over to verse 20, uh, 35. And this is where they have found him. It is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. I've always been intrigued with how Simon could uh, deny him one day and 40 days later deliver the message. This is the only indication that the Lord may have appeared to Simon and it may have been a seminary. He may have been there. Simon may have had instruction for a long, long time. Well, um... 
whether it was long or short, God was able to give them. Of course, 40 days later, as you're talking about at Pentecost, after the Spirit had come, and Jesus says when he comes, he's going to guide you into all truth. So they had, I think, uh, immediately or, or very quickly complete knowledge of what they needed to have. Um, it took Paul three years, you know, in Arabia, but I think the apostles got it quickly. Uh, who knows? It'd be interesting to know how that went for three years with Paul after he was converted. Um, interesting point. Uh, so it says, uh, as we leave Luke 24, when the ladies went back and reported to the apostles, the disciples, they didn't believe it. They, they, they didn't believe it. They said, no, we, we, we saw that. They stuck him with that spear, and he's, uh, he's dead. And Jesus had told them before all this happened what was going to happen, but uh, it was just seeing is believing, and that's what they were believing, what they saw. They did not understand he would rise, even though he said he would. But after the ladies told them that, it says Peter, <clears throat> excuse me, ran to the tomb to check out what they were saying. And when he saw it, that the stone was rolled back and <clears throat> that it was empty, uh, it says, the, script, the verse says in Luke that he went home marveling. Uh, so I think some realization is starting to set in with Peter. You know, it's interesting. The ladies report the body is gone and they don't organize a search party. Who, who got him? Where'd they put him? There's no search, search party is organized because right as they are told or as they see the body is gone, the stone is rolled back. Um, other accounts that also talk about how when they went in and looked where he had lain, the linens that he was wrapped in were laying there. And the indication is they look at that and they're undisturbed. They're not unraveled. They're not here or there. They're just laying there. It's like the, his body, like he just moved through them, like he did when he moved into the room when they were behind the closed doors a little bit later. Don't know, but they're starting to come to the realization that there is a resurrection here because no search is organized. Uh, also, as you read this, it's sort of interesting, isn't it, that how Jesus appears to the women, Mary Magdalene and the other women, before he, before he appears to the uh, disciples. Uh, just sort of interesting. Uh, John 20, verse 9, uh, when they were having trouble understanding what had happened, the, uh, John says, for as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. So up until this point, they didn't understand what Jesus uh, and the scripture had said about the Messiah, that, he would, that he's going to live forever. And you know, this event is the fulfillment of Genesis 3.15 in the garden when after the sin and God comes and he talks to Adam, he talks to Eve and the serpent and uh, he tells him, you're going to bruise the seed of woman, but he is going to bruise or crush your head. You're going to give him a wound, but he's going to give you a, f a fatal wound. 
And this is the fulfillment of that. Genesis 3.15 fulfilled right here on this weekend. Of course, the Hebrew writer says in Hebrews 2.14, when he talks about the son taking uh, on flesh like the children have, that being us, how that he, by death, would destroy the one who had the power of death. By death, the Messiah would destroy the one who had the power of death. And he destroyed Satan's power with the resurrection. Um, and Peter quotes, when, as you were mentioning, when, he, when Peter's preaching the, the sermon on Pentecost in Acts 2 and 27, Peter talks about Jesus' resurrection. In verse 24, he says, it's not possible that death would hold him. And then in verse 27, he quotes from the psalmist in Psalm 16 and 10, and he says, it's not, the Lord would not leave his Holy One in Sheol, nor would he let his flesh see corruption. Uh, as a matter of fact, that being in the Psalms and Jesus knowing the scripture, Jesus knew going into it that he was not going to stay in the grave. Not only did he know that by being God, but he also knew that from the scripture. And he also knew that the scripture is always fulfilled. Scripture is always completed. So he knew he was going to be raised. He didn't want to go and go through it. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago. It was horrible taking on sin totally foreign to him, taking going to die totally foreign to God, impossible for God to have known that, what it would be, and being separated from the Father. Those three things drove him to sweat and blood and dread and prayers to the Father. Please, let's not do this. If there's any other way. Three unknowns that were totally foreign and contradictory to his very nature, but he said, your will be done. So about the resurrection, Jesus had, uh, he told in the gospels, it gives the accounts in, in Mark, it's Mark 8, 31, Mark 9, 31, Mark 10, 34. He tells the, the 12 at the time, he said, the son of man, I'm going to be rejected by the elders, the chief priests and the scribes. They're going to reject me. They're going to turn me over to the Gentiles the Romans, they will spit on me, mock me, flog me, and kill me. And on the third day, I will rise. And at least on those three, three different occasions, he tells the disciples what to expect. The, the, the trial, the beating, the trial, the crucifixion, and the resurrection. They, they just didn't get that. They didn't get it. And at one, in Mark, in uh, 9.32, Mark says, they did not understand it when Jesus said this, but they were afraid to ask him about it because it conflicted with what they thought the Messiah would be. How can the Messiah, how can he go through this? He's the Messiah. And so they, they didn't understand it, but they're afraid to ask about it. And the way um, Matthew says when he tells them that, Peter takes him aside and says, Lord, this could never happen to you. Didn't fit his expectations. And of course, Jesus rebukes him and, and tells him, you're thinking earthly things. You're thinking in an earthly way. You're not thinking spiritually. I'm trying to tell you spiritual truths. And you're locked in 
to just thinking about this earthly and your expectation of what the Messiah is going to be. And of course, we have the we have the the uh, re- recording in another account how that James and uh, John's mother goes to him and says, Father, uh, "Jesus, and when you come in your kingdom, in your glory, let one son sit on your right and one son sit on your left." So they're totally expecting an earthly earthly kingdom. Their expectations were not being met. And you have to wonder how often our expectations about what God should be doing are not met. We think God should do certain things in certain ways in certain times, and when he doesn't, we don't understand it. And our expectations are not met that ever happen? I think so. My sister's been married now for 24 years. Uh, She got married when she was 44. And I remember Sheila, uh, not understanding why God didn't give her a husband. I'm a good person, quote unquote, good person. I'm a faithful Christian. I want to be married. I want to have a family. Why doesn't God give me? And her happiness was, it became to be largely dependent upon God not meeting her expectations and it was making her very unhappy. Um, Which later... uh, a couple came to my parents. They said, could we get married out in your yard uh, by the gazebo? They had a pretty yard there in southwest Arkansas. We'd like to have our wedding outdoors. Dad said, sure, that'd be fine. And the guy that was in the wedding party became Sheila's husband. Not on that day, but later. But we get uh, we have disappointments when God doesn't perform the way we think he should when he should. And that that can really be a trap. And uh, we need to uh, let God work in his own time, in his own way. Uh, So anyway, in verse, uh, chapter 20, verse 11, she comes back uh, with Peter and John to the tomb. Mary does. She has a conversation with two angels. And then Jesus appears to her in verse 16 and 17. And it's interesting here. He says, go tell my brothers that I'm ascending, and he says, I'm going to my father and your father. And that's a pretty big deal, that statement, because the, the Israelites had never had close access to God. They never had free access. Of course, so you remember in Matthew's account at the crucifixion how the veil uh, the, the curtain at the temple was torn in two and the sim- symbolic thing of that was God is now open. Access is now open to, to God the Father. So Jesus tells Mary, I'm going tell the brothers, I'm going to my father and your father. So he's, in, he's in making this an inclusive statement about family now. This is our family. And I'm going to our father and go tell the brothers this. You know, when the Israelites were, were coming out of Egypt in Exodus 19, 
and uh, Moses is getting the command, commands on Sinai, God tells him, you tell the people not to even come close to the mountain or they'll die if they touch the mountain, much less come up here where I am. So there was no access to God for Israel, and they're used to that. Only the high priest once a year into the Holy of Holies. But now Jesus is making a family reference, and so the significance of, is that all of this has changed. Everything has changed with the crucifixion and now the resurrection. Everything has changed. It'll take them a little while to, for all of that to settle in, and we can't appreciate it because <clears throat> we've, we've grown up hearing all these stories and we're used to praying directly to God and believing he's hearing us or knowing he's hearing us because we pray through Jesus. Boy, they did not have that experience or expectation. And again, I've used this reference several times back to Hebrews 2.12. Both he who makes men holy and those who are made holy are the same family. That's a big deal of the same family. Turn with me to Galatians chapter 4. Paul puts it pretty, it's a powerful statement that the Jews are just not used to and that we have trouble appreciating, I think. Galatians 4, verses 4 through 7 When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive the adoption, adoption as sons, as children. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, an heir. An heir. So Jesus makes a big statement to Mary that things have changed now. So when we go on to verse 19 through 23, and this is his first appearance to the apostles, or I'm sorry, the disciples. On the first day of the week, they're in a, a locked room or at least a room with the doors are shut for fear of what the Jews might do to them. You know, they'd kill, they'd kill their leader. We better hide out and close the door. We don't want them knowing where we are. We're not sure what they're going to do with us. We know that they are not honest. We know they are unscrupulous, vindictive, and they're wanting to control everything. And we were with Jesus for three plus years. And uh, if they associate us with him, that can mean trouble for us. So, so they were locked away. So Jesus comes to them and appears in the room with them and says, peace. And a couple of points in this. You have to think about what they're they're thinking about over the last three days. We all told him, we'll die with you. We'll die with you. And they're all reflecting When the Romans came and arrested him, we scattered. Anybody here from Alabama? That's a better 
scattered like quails, much nicer. I was going to say scattered like rats in an Alabama basement. But if you're from Alabama or if your family's from Alabama, that's, it's only because I'm from Arkansas that I would say that. And Jonathan, I know Matt, Matt's not in here, so I'm safe there. Don't tell Matt I said that. But they scattered. And they had to be feeling maybe a little bit of guilt, you think? We said we'll die with you. We scattered. So Jesus says, peace be with you. And he shows no disappointment. He doesn't bring up how they had let him down and disappointed him. What a great lesson for us. When someone disappoints us, don't we usually point that out to them? I'm really disappointed you did that. Pam has to work with me on that one. Uh, We are way too easy to express our disappointment and let it be known. Jesus had every right reason to do that. No mention. Peace be to you. And then he goes on with the next part of his statement. He said, now remember, we've got work to do, and you're on my team, is what he's telling them. It's Team Jesus. I'm just as the Father sent me into the world to share my message, I'm sending you into the world to share the message. So he is just bringing them in and telling them, you're part of my team, and I want you, we've got a message to share, and... I've got full confidence in you that you're going to do it. There's no rehearsing how they let him down. Pam says, talks about how we should be grace dispensers. I like that. Well, verse 24 and 25 of chapter 20. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we've seen the Lord. And he said, no. He said, unless I see his hands and the mark of the nails and put my finger in the mark of the nails and put my hand in his side, I'm, I'm not buying it. Don't know why Thomas wasn't there. But eight days later, Jesus comes back. And maybe it's just to appear to Thomas. Of course, he's reinforcing. Again, it says they're in a closed room and then he appears in the room. Let's them see him, let's them touch him, touch me, feel me, all that. And then he goes to Thomas and repeats Thomas's words to Thomas. And, and Jesus does this several times. We've talked about that in previ- previous weeks. How uh, that they're talking about something and he, he walks up to them and answers their question about what they're talking about. Just a little subtle message there. You know I'm God. And I know what you're thinking. Scripture says he knows what's in the hearts of men. I know what you're thinking. I know what you're talking about. So he walks in the room, says, peace be unto you. And then he turns to Thomas and says, Thomas, put your hands in my, put your finger in my, in my hands and put your hand in my side. And Thomas says, my Lord and my God. 
You know, uh, these 11... They're going to go into a hostile world under fear of imprisonment and martyrdom. And they are all, they all remain faithful to the man. All of them die, as far as we know, a martyr's death, maybe not John. They go to the limit. What causes people to go into certain death? One, one thing for them, that was they had seen Jesus is resurrected and they went to all of their world saying, he's risen. Do to us what you will, but he's risen. We've seen him. Not made up. It's real. John closes chapter 20 that he did many other signs, but these are written that you might believe and that by believing you will have life in his name, verse 30 and 31. You will have life in his name. Paul restates that again in Acts 4, verse 12. There's no other name under heaven whereby we must, must be saved in the name of Jesus. Eric. Thomas gets a bad rap. Go ahead. One, Thomas is skeptical, and that it's okay to be skeptical if you want proof. That's normal. Uh, you would think after seeing all the miracles that Thomas saw firsthand, and you would think with 10 of his compadres telling him, we saw Jesus raised, we touched him, we saw the wounds, we saw him, it is him, you would think that Thomas would say, okay. I can believe your report. I've been with you for three and a half years. Good enough. But he didn't. Was there a little bit lacking in his faith or the reason? I don't know. Uh, you can decide that for yourself. But he wanted more proof. So Jesus obliges him. He comes back to say, Thomas, here I am. I want you to see this too. And then Eric said, what about Mary touches uh when she first sees the Lord, she clings to him, the word there, not just touched him, but grabbed him. Don't, don't hold me yet, he says. Uh, why the difference? He, of course, he invites all the disciples to touch him. Why the difference between the two? Well, when Larry and Ted get into Jeremiah, they will explain that why it's treated differently. But something about uh, 
Evidently, Mary is grabbing his feet and just holding him. And he says, no, not yet, Mary. I'm, I haven't ascended. It's, it was more than a touch, according to the commentaries. I don't know if they, as they look at the language that was used there. I don't know that word, so I can't say firsthand. But it is interesting. There's a difference he invites Thomas to touch. He wants Thomas, for one thing, he wants him to make sure he knows exactly what he said before, and he says, Thomas, I want you to believe this is me, and he allows it. Uh, okay, so John says, these things are written that by believing his, in his name, you might have eternal life. Chapter 21, there was more to say, but we'll, we'll move on for sake of time. Uh, so Jesus appears to the disciples when they're fishing. Same story, not catching anything. Throw your net on the other side. They get a, they get a net full and they bring the fish in and he feeds them breakfast. And then the thing with Peter there, three times. Peter, do you love me? Yes, I do. They use different words there. Use agape and phileo in response, but John or the other gospel writers don't make any real detail about that. Bottom line is he's asking, do you love me? And he keeps saying yes three times. You know, Peter denied the Lord three times. So Jesus asked him three times, do you love me? Both events happened in the early morning by a charcoal fire as Peter was warming himself and then as Jesus had fixed breakfast. And the rooster crowed with the denial. I don't doubt, that it doesn't tell us, but I wouldn't doubt at all that a rooster wasn't crowing early in the morning there when, John was, when Peter was having to uh, express his love for Jesus. Maybe not, but some similarities there. So Peter says, I do love you. And then Jesus says, verse 18, chapter 21, verse 18. Truly I say to you, when you were young, you did what you wanted, went where you wanted. When you're old, you will stretch out your hands, another will dress you and carry you where you don't want to go. He said this to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. You know, death is the... The way we approach death, God can use that. We can show our faith in the way we choose to pass if we're alert. Showing, expressing our faith can encourage others and honor God. Jesus told Peter, your death is going to honor me. An encouragement or an exhortation to all of us is that by our, our deaths, let's honor the Lord in our passing by showing our faith and trust. 
Peter turns around, interesting thing here in verse 20. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved. Peter, when, verse 21, when Peter saw him, he turned to Jesus. Lord, what about this man? Jesus just told Peter, you're going to die a martyr's death. Peter turns around and sees John and says, well, what about him? He knows Jesus loves him. They all know that. In a way, maybe more so, uh, there's an attachment with John more so than the others. And John was probably his cousin. We talked about that in the first, second week. What about him? Comparison. Why do they have it better than me? Why does he get to do that? Why does she get to do that? I deserve that promotion as much as, why did God let that happen? Why are they blessed and I'm not? And on and on and on. The root of comparison is envy and jealousy. And we are prone to do it more than we should, to compare our, our lots to theirs. Jesus says, when Peter does that, he says, what's that to you? You follow me. That's your job. And that's my job. And so we all know people who are blessed more in certain ways or blessed differently in certain ways than we are, although we are blessed richly, richly, richly. Most of the world, 98% of the world, would love so much to live not in San Francisco, but the rest of the U.S. <laughs> and maybe a couple of places in Texas, though. <laughs> we are so blessed. What is that to you, Peter? <clears throat> you follow me. The main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing, right? And so our, our job is to be faithful disciples who are blessed by God to share the love of Jesus with those in our circle. And John says, my witness about this is all true, verse 24, and in verse 25, Jesus did many other things that with the world, we, if the books were written about these things, the world couldn't contain it. So Acts chapter 1, if you turn the page, Acts chapter 1, Jesus appeared to them alive after his death and resurrection with many proofs for 40 days. He wanted them to know, it's me, I am raised, just as the scripture said. Interesting thing in Acts chapter 1 verse 6, when they had come together right before his ascension, when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, now that you're raised, parentheses, Will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? So they're still expecting the Messianic kingdom, the Davidic kingdom. Now that you're raised, now you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel. Now we're going to be a world power. Now we're going to throw off the yoke of Rome. Now this is all going to happen. And Jesus says, oh, guys, not for me to say about all of that, And he tells them, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, 
and to all the earth. He says to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and all the earth. That's an interesting thing when he says Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and they're thinking, Samaria? We don't want to set foot in Samaria. And that goes on for 10 chapters in Acts. And Peter has to have a special vision to understand that the gospel's for all the world, not just the Jews. Um, Then he's lifted, in verse 9 through 11, lifted up into a cloud. And the angel says, this Jesus that you see going in the clouds will come the same way. He's coming again in the same way in the clouds. So last passage as we finish John is 1 Corinthians 15. First Corinthians 15, as the angel said, he's going to come back the same way. And when Paul writes Thessalonians, he says, we're going to rise to meet him in the air. He's coming back in the air, we'll rise to meet him in the air. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 52, in the moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable. This perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. Not ghosts or spirits in heaven, but immortal bodies, spiritual bodies, as Jesus said. You know, John, is it 1 John 3, 2? We don't know yet what we'll be like, but we know we'll be like him because we'll see him as he is. So immortal bodies raised, changed, made immortal, and then finally, because of that, because of his resurrection, because of the guarantee of what's happening to you for your future in your, resur- in your resurrection, in your new body, in the change that's going to come upon you and me and all of his followers, he says this, therefore, verse 58, 1 Corinthians 15, therefore, my beloved brothers, be steady, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Because of his resurrection and your resurrection and your future, therefore, be steadfast. Don't move. Don't change at all in your faith. Count on him because everything he says will happen. Amen and Godspeed. Hey, I'm Eddie White, the senior minister for the Eastside Church of Christ. Sure want to thank you for joining us today on our podcast. I hope today's message was indeed a blessing to you. I'd like to invite you to browse our website at eastsidesprings.com to get more information or to contact us. And as always, we indeed welcome you to join us for our worship service in Colorado Springs as we seek to live out Jesus' mission of making disciples of all nations.